Welcome to the Femtech Health Podcast. Today, we have Amanda Olson, a physical therapist and owner of Intimate Rose, as our guest. Amanda is passionate about women's health and has dedicated her career to helping people with pelvic health issues. She shares her personal journey of overcoming a serious injury and how it led her to specialize in pelvic health. Amanda discusses the importance of pelvic health and the need for comfortable and effective products in this field. She introduces Intimate Rose, her company that provides pelvic health products worldwide. Amanda explains the benefits of using these products for rehabilitation and empowering patients to take control of their own health. We also delve into the topic of return to activity after postpartum and the role of pelvic health in sports. Amanda shares how she combines her expertise in pelvic health with her passion for helping athletes return to their favorite activities. Join us for an inspiring conversation with Amanda Olson as we explore the world of pelvic health and the impact it has on women's lives. Let's get started. Hi, I'm here today with Amanda Olson. Amanda is a physical therapist, and she also is the owner of Intimate Rose. Intimate Rose is an amazing company that actually provides pelvic health products for people all over the world that have any pelvic health issues. And she also has a love of sports and return to activity after postpartum. So we're really excited to have her here today. And she is also a wonderful friend of mine. So Amanda, thanks for being here. Tell me first a little bit about how you got so passionate about women's health and maybe why you leaned into this whole area. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I got into pelvic health because I hurt myself very badly. I began my career after I finished my doctorate degree in pediatrics. And very shortly after I graduated, I found myself in a situation where I sustained a fall from 40 feet up. I I was cliff jumping into water, you know, being adventurous and you're supposed to land straight like, like, like a stick. And I landed in the shape of an L bottom first. And at 40 feet, the water functions very much like cement and I annihilated myself. So I hurt my my pelvic floor, I injured my pelvis, my low back, everything very, very badly. And I had to go see a pelvic health colleague. And she and I spent a lot of time together in the rehabilitation process and she changed my life. You know, I with that kind of fall, there's a lot of things that could have happened where I wouldn't be here. You know, if I'd rotated a little bit more and hit my head, things like that. And seeing her just gave me a whole new purpose. And at the end of our rehab journey, she said, Amanda, you need to quit pediatrics. You need to do pelvic health. You have the right personality for it. And there's not enough of us. So I did. I quit peds. Well, I was still, I was still working in pediatrics, but going back to, back to school and back to courses in the evenings and on weekends and certified. And from there, treating pelvic health patients for the last 14 years. And then Intimate Rose is eight years old now. And yes, it's, it's, it's growing, growing. And from there, I just saw a need to create products that were ultimately one, the most comfortable. I wanted something that was really smooth and easy for the patient to use and empower themselves to get better on their own as an extension of our rehab together. And I wanted them to also be really bright and cheerful and and happy looking so that they weren't, you know, medical and stigmatized and 
So that's that's what I do. So did you sort of find it your own rehab journey then that you started kind of thinking and saying, oh, some of these things that I see, they don't they look too scary or they don't look very comfortable or I mean, it was that part of the drive of it that you just sort of realized, boy, there's a space, you know, there's a piece of the puzzle that's just missing for people. And it kind of sort of keeps people away from doing the work. It happened more in the clinical setting. I think with myself, there was some sort of like removal. Uh, I think it's just so hard to be objective. Um, so when I was the patient on the table, um, I was doing what I was told and I didn't, I wasn't recommended any tools and I didn't have any tools. And then being in the clinical space and treating patients and listening to them cry and, and listening to what's working and what's not working and seeing what was available and what wasn't available. That's where the ideas really came. That's amazing. So were you already using some products like when you were actually a pelvic PT and you just thought, oh, maybe they need to be more colorful. They need to be more interesting. They need to have a different look to them. Is that sort of how all that inspiration started coming? Yes. And I also saw, too, that some of them just flat out were not functional. They were not doing what they what they intended to do or what they said they did. And then there was also just massive gaps on the market. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So uh, tell me a little bit too, you know, you wanted to do PEDS and has there been a lot of crossover between, you know, your pediatric work and pelvic health work as you've sort of moved through this? I think that there's a deep, not all physical therapists are empathetic. You know, everyone, everyone goes into physical therapy to help other people. But I think that there's a there's a different level of nurturing that happens both in pediatrics and in pelvic health, because in the pediatric space, you are managing patients that oftentimes have very significant needs and you're taking care of the whole family. And in pelvic health, it's very similar, but there's more there's a lot more shame oftentimes associated with the pelvic health issues. So I think the the management strategies are similar. But you're having to really find out where the patient is and help them reach their goals in a space that um, there's just not a lot of dialogue about. It's changing and it's certainly been improving, I would say, in the last five years. Um, but it is, it is very sensitive. It's a sensitive subject. Well, and I find interesting sometimes, too, where, you know, you, you, know, you want somebody to maybe get a product or get something and you're kind of directing them, oh, I want you to go online and do it. But a lot of people will not take that step. And so I loved that you offered it to a, a, us providers so that we could have it actually in office, first off, to show people, and second off, to help them understand why they need it. And it just, it's really changed, like, I think, pelvic health overall to be able to have these variety of products like in my clinic to show people. And I, I think that's a really important piece or puzzle piece because so many people, you know, you could teach them all about it, even if you had a sample, but sometimes they don't, they're too afraid to be like, oh, I'm going to go online. I'm going to do this thing. And, and now that we have product in our office to be like, hey, here's this product for you. Do you know what I mean? And they walk out with their bag. And there's something empowering about their bag of stuff from you. I'm just going to say. I love that so much. That's exactly how I want it. Yes, they get their bag and they, 
it, it feels like, oh, this is for me and this is for me to learn how to take care of myself. So tell me a little bit why you think these products maybe empower women to have the, you know, skills and the tool sets to literally take home. And why do we need take home care? Well, when we're looking at it from a high level standpoint in clinical care, you know, in the clinic, we do things like manual therapy and a lot of education and we do exercises together and then maybe utilizing tech such as biofeedback or ultrasound imaging. But life happens in their home and out, out in their life. And so in order for the carryover to happen, we need, number one, next extra practice and extra time building new skills and new coordination patterns. Regardless of the diagnosis, if it's a pelvic health diagnosis, they are having to learn a new coordination pattern, whether it's to drop and relax or activate and build speed and time and timing and control and all that. And the tools, the very nature of them being able to reach and get to the space that's in need of assistance is helping them to retrain their brain and their pelvic health tissue and that coordination pattern. And so in doing so, it's, it's active learning. They are not receiving passive treatment, which is there's, a, there's an absolute time and a place for it, but it is active learning and it is actively, they, it is something that they can do on their own so that also when the time comes and they graduate and they discharge from pelvic health physical therapy, which is always our goal to put ourselves out of a, out of a job there with them, that they know that if something happens and they experience a flare up or, you know, heaven forbid symptoms return, they know how to fix it. They know how to help their body. And that is perhaps the most, I think, profoundly important aspect because when you feel broken down there, it can be the most disorienting and scary feeling because it surrounds our bladder health, our bowel health, our sexual health, gynecological, gastrointestinal, all of it. And all of those are just part of being a person. Not that a knee issue is not, but this is, this is like base level being a person. So the tools allow them. Yes. Day, all day, every day, there's something, there's something happening there in that neighborhood. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So it's such a restoration for them to be like, oh, now I'm in charge, and so we're just guiding them, supporting them, helping them. And I just think that's where all of the the you know products from Intimate Rose are so powerful because they're allowing them to sort of be in charge of their health. And, you know, if they know, oh, hey, I all of a sudden have a little bit of a relapse or I have a spot that's hurting maybe on deep penetration with intercourse, that they now have tools to be able to use in different ways. So what was the first product that you made? Vaginal weights were the first <laughs> product. They are very pretty. They are a set of six progressively heavier weights. They start at 25 grams and they start with the color white. And then as the color purple gets darker, the weight gets heavier. So very similar to if anyone's ever used a TheraBand to strengthen their shoulder or their ankle muscles and stabilize their very similar. We want to progressively strengthen and build up endurance and coordination. And interestingly enough, vaginal weights were originally incepted in the 1980s as a 
proprioceptive tool. So as a tool yes. to help the brain locate where the pelvic floor is in, in the body. And ours are a lot prettier and a lot softer than the original, the yes, original bones that were created. Yeah. And what, what I have found to be the most impactful is it's the smooth silicone. So we have a very unique finish on our medical grade silicone that makes it very smooth. So it makes it easier to get in and to remove from the body. So Amanda, let's just talk about those just for a minute, because I think knowing that 70% of the floor is endurance muscles, so many people lose the thought process that those may be an important component of somebody's rehab. So, you know, I'll just share a little anecdotal story. Like, you know, I have a mama, she's doing great most of the day, but then literally towards the end of the day, you know, her fatigability sets in. And, you know, sometimes we can sort of think, oh, like, well, you know, she just needs to get stronger with some of these other activities, which is great. But also she may need to have the input right locally to understand proprioceptive wise that she is fatigued there. Right. And so I think that's kind of the beauty of, you know, those weighted cones. So talk to me a little bit about what you think about all of that. Yeah, absolutely. It, and that's really common end of day or long day on their feet if they are, you know, working a job that is very active or they've been lifting the toddler all day or they're trying to get back to running or other types of sport. Yeah, absolutely. And the well, nice thing is, is, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, you know, like in your own practice when you're working, like what's a classic way you might introduce that or in what sort of scenario or situation would you use that? Because I think people sort of maybe don't understand all the time, why do we want this proprioception? You know, a person might be disconnected from an area and they don't even realize that's where they are fatigued. Absolutely. The very first way that I introduce the weights is always, always start with white. A lot of people like to think that, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm going to jump in in the middle. Don't do it. Start with white. <laughs> and um, I like to train the sensory system and the activation system first. So I have them place the white weight in and be seated or on hands and knees or lying mm -hmm. down on their back. And this works for even a person who has very, very fatigable or weak pelvic floor muscles. So in those positions, they're not they're not straight against gravity. Even the seated position, they have support under their perineum. And I have them coordinate their breathing pattern to inhale, relax, exhale, contract, and they pull up with the weight. And then they inhale and relax. So we're getting full range activation with the pelvic floor. And in the seated position, they get that nice input from whatever they're sitting on. In quadruped, so in hands and knees position, the weight will gently tip into the anterior pelvic floor right around the urethra. And they get instant feedback, oftentimes around the area that needs it the most. And I'll have them activate and deactivate in that position for training those front fibers to prevent leakage. And then once they have a good sense of that, if they need to work on endurance, specifically like you're talking about, I love to have them put the weight in and do a shower or some other very light household activity. The beauty of a shower is a lot, it needs to be done. And in the shower, they're getting a lot of different body movements. You're going to reach up into extension and wash your hair. You're going to bend over and you're going to wash your feet. You're going to rotate and do this and that. 
and it's roughly eight to 10 minutes. So when while the weight's in, they're doing that, they're getting rise and fall of the pelvic floor, so they're not sitting there clenching it for eight to 10 minutes. Besides the fact nobody can hold a maximum contraction that long or it wouldn't be maximum. <laughs> but the, it's a really nice, easy way to, you know, cross two things off on your list with one, one 10 minute with increment, one quick, yeah. Yep. Which is perfect for a busy person. Yes, it's, that, that's 100% sure. And our moms are busy all the time. So trying to find places and time frames to maybe utilize I know there was a study year, years ago, you know, it was a group of Pilates instructors that they had taught, you know, oh, how to do a correct pelvic floor contraction. And then, you know, they watched them on ultrasound and only 50% of them could actually do a good pelvic contraction. So what happens when a lady puts this in and then all of a sudden it kind of shoots out? What's going on when that goes on? It could be a couple of things. One, they could be bearing down. And their brain is going to get that feedback. Oh, when I do this and I bear down, the weight comes out, which is the opposite of what we want to have. And the other thing is the, the muscles may just be fatigued. Just the same way as if you're doing push-ups and you get to number eight, number nine, and you just simply can't do anymore. The muscles are fatigued and you can't complete the movement. And that's the same way. So that would be the way, like if this woman is in the shower and she's not quite done yet and this thing just kind of slips and falls out, you know, some of my moms are like, oh my gosh, I'm like, it's okay. Like there's a fatigability to the floor, right? And this endurance hasn't happened yet. So then, you know, maybe we wait a minute, put it back in, see if we can hold a few more minutes or maybe the floor is like done. I'm like, I'm on overload, right? Yeah. You got so, it. It, it. Yeah, they might be able to put it in and do like a set, like a little bit longer, or they may need to wash it, dry it, put it away, and just try to do a couple more minutes later on in the day or tomorrow. You can always try right. again tomorrow. Right. So, Amanda, I loved the all four position because sometimes we'll utilize them in the all four position as well, where we'll have them put it in and then we'll actually have them do like a levator ani contraction or a external anal sphincter contraction because then that also gives proprioception to that whole area of the tube of the urethral tube and also the internal sphincter in the base of the bladder as well. So it's a great piece because if maybe somebody isn't as strong in the posterior part of the floor, they get that proprioceptive impact there as well. Do you see that to be beneficial, utilizing the posterior part of the floor and kind of segmenting it out for them? Absolutely. Yes. And that's where the beauty of just simply changing their body position changes the dose against, uh, mm-hmm. against gravity. And there's there's just so much that can be done by simply rotating a person. So, it, you know, if you're dosing this with them, like how many times a week are you asking them maybe to do something like this? For how many minutes? It's dependent on the person in front of you, but typically following regular exercise protocols, roughly four days per week with days in between to rest. Mm-hmm. And th- that, that way we can be sure that they're getting good quality movement. If they feel like they're not fatiguing as much, they may be able to slide in a couple extra sessions. But for power, it's eight to, t- eight to 12 reps, three sets. Um, and for endurance, roughly eight to 10 minutes. There's evidence suggesting that they can go up to 20 and a lot of people can and that's fine. We just want to monitor the fatigability because we don't want them to 
experience a flare-up in urinary incontinence or pain or anything like that as a byproduct. So we monitor that closely. But there are studies out there that go up to 20 minutes. And there's one study that looked at vaginal weights against medication for overactive bladder. And they did two 20-minute sessions and they had no negative consequences. And the vaginal weights performed better than the anti-muscarinic medication, which Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. You know, it's really a testament to what pelvic floor coordination and activity can do to retrain bladder behavior. Absolutely. And I think the, you know, when a vaginal weight goes in to that region, so like when you're near where the tube of the bladder, so the urethral tube at the base of the neck at literally, you know, the internal sphincter right there, it's getting information to the area, proprioceptive information. So home use is wonderful because think we can train that in the clinic, but we might not get the carryover of that sort of posterior support to the bladder. So remember that posterior support to the bladder is just as much important as the bladder itself stopping the flow. But we need that information from the rear of the floor to give that bladder its uplift and its stability. And And those, they're so important piece of that. Absolutely. Thank goodness you made them and they're so pretty. So and I they're love pretty. Them. <laughs> okay, so what's the next one that you made? What very next, next came dilators. Okay. <laughs> yes. So dilators are a tool for people that have pain with penetration, whether it's a tampon or a speculum during a medical exam or penetrative intercourse. And so the dilators start, we have eight of them, and they progressively get longer and wider. So they're like little tubes. They start the size of my pinky and then they get very large to be roughly eight inches and an inch and a half across. Mm -hmm. And the, the purpose of the dilator, so it is inserted inside the vagina and the purpose is to train the sensory system again and the brain to not only tolerate, but to relax and to mobilize to let in this this tube and we progress that person to what their goal is so for some people their goal is the size of their partner so maybe they're not able to have intercourse and they're experiencing involuntary contractions they don't mean to but their pelvic floor muscles are tightening and making it difficult if not impossible to sustain penetration or maybe their goal is just simply to be able to tolerate a speculum so that they can have their medical exam and that's good enough for them. So we're progressing them through the set to the point where their goal is, whatever it is for that person in front of us. So we're training them how to breathe, how to drop and relax. And then for some, so particularly people who have undergone hormone changes, so new moms who are in low estrogen state after childbirth, Women who are in that perimenopausal, postmenopausal state to where the tissue is just stiffer and less lubricated and it's not mobilizing well, or someone who's had cancer. So maybe they've had radiation or chemotherapy and they have actual stenosis or scarring around the vaginal tissue. For those people, the dilator is also gently, gently mobilizing it. Um, Another way to say it might be stretch, but when people think of stretch, sometimes they think of pain, push into it. And that's not what we do with the dilator. So I like to say mobilize. We're just getting the tissue to be more flexible so that it can tolerate width and length. So I first got acquainted with a lot of the dilators, you know, treating gynecological cancers. 
because sometimes, you know, if they were going to radiate tissue, they wanted a spacer even. So sometimes, you know, early on entering into the cancer treatment progression is so important as well. So any of our people out there who are, you know, do oncology work, physicians, et cetera, these dilators are so important and significant and keeping this process open, you know what I mean? And this tissue like viable all during treatment. Absolutely. Absolutely. One cancer patient put it to me this way and it darn near broke my heart. She said that she had been fighting for her life through the cancer experience and she had come out the other end. She had completed her treatment, but then she was having issues with penetrative intercourse. So she said she had fought for her life and now she was going to lose the love of her life because she wasn't, she was, she was having trouble with intimacy and the dilators were so helpful and it got her, got them through that. But it's just one of those things that they, they don't think about sometimes. So I'm glad to hear that your team was thinking about that. Higher. Yes, you know, we we try like to set people up before they even start maybe the radiation process or or anything that might, you know, aggressively be going on. Like we prep them before and then we take care of them afterwards. And the dilators are a significant part of it. And, you know, then then like you said before, you know, like, hey, planning out, hey, what's my goal? Is it for penetrative sex or just the use of a speculum or what size do I need? And all the dilators come in different groupings of sizes. So Amanda, tell us a little bit when they're going to use these dilators. Are they using some lubrication with them when they put them in? How long? What's the dosing pattern with the dilators as well? Absolutely. Copious amounts of lubrication. I always recommend at least a teaspoon to a tablespoon on the product and on them. And for dilator use, I always like to recommend using a suspension syringe loaded with lubricant to push up and in and coat the walls of the vagina to help ensure that it's all the way through. And they're practicing their drop and relax, and then they are inserting. And for some people, especially when they're just starting or when they're moving from one dilator to the next, it may be that on any given day, they're only able to get in the first quarter of an inch to an inch of the dilator. And then on the next day, they're able to get it. And then the whole way in, generally speaking for the dosage, it's anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes dependent on the diagnosis. And for some, they're doing three 10-minute sessions per day. And then for some, it's just one 30-minute session. Within that is, of course, grace of, you know, people have busy schedules. And also, we all have bad days. And there's some days where you're feeling crummy and you're not able to complete your session. But especially in the case of radiation or somebody that's post-operative, so maybe they've had a gynecological procedure or they have, they're undergoing creation of the vaginal canal where there wasn't one previously. So people who have that vaginal agenesis, MRKH and AIS, they just want to try to be as diligent as possible. And oftentimes their goal is that 30 minute mark every day and just doing their best to to meet those parameters. And then for people that have vaginismus where they're they they're experiencing those spasms and learning how to control them, they might be able to make great progress with just 10 to 15 minutes per day. So I love this of the copious amounts of lubrication <laughs> because you know so many of my people when I'm asking them, oh you know, I'm just putting this little tiny amount on and I'm always like, no, 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 no. The floor is large, it's deep, it has different directions to it. 
there needs to be a lot. So talk a little bit, you know, when people are utilizing, you know, all of this lubrication, why are we wanting so much lubrication to go on in the floor and these particular patients? Absolutely. We we use it to reduce friction so that the 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 tissue is when it has the lubricant on it, it can be more pliable. And so the device is going to slide in easier or a partner or whatever else is is there. And then also, you know, the body absorbs moisture. So we just want to make sure that there is plenty of it. So a, a lot of people kind of don't realize this moisture piece, I think, right? Just like you and I put, you know, a moisturizer on our skin, uh, what kind of lubrication is going to be okay for them to use with your product? Because they might say, oh, I, you know, use this lubrication and then I want to put this on your product. Like what, what's okay to use with your product and what, what do you recommend that's best? Best case scenario is a water-based lubricant. They can use natural oils. So the coconut oil, avocado oil, these kinds of things, those are all compatible. The one type of lubricant that is not compatible with our medical grade silicone is silicone-based lubricant. Mm -hmm. The the silicone-based lubricant and the medical grade silicone don't get along and it can change and denature the medical grade silicone on the product. So that type of lubricant can be great for intercourse or for personal use, but for the tools, it's a water-based or a natural oil. So Amanda, when we're talking dilators with our patients, a lot of times we'll teach them a propping position. You know, they lay on their back, they put their feet up, we prop their pelvis up so that it's, you know, almost like it's upside down a little bit. So a little pillow under their bottom. What are, I mean, is that a good position? To, tell me what you think about, because some of our ladies can't get comfortable or they don't know how to utilize it. So, you know, how do you talk through that with your patients? I love the position you just described. So I usually show them three to four positions and let them pick their favorite. And some of them require a little bit more mobility or strength of their body. So we just try to find the best match for the person in front of us. But like you mentioned, so at home that can be replicated as to propping, lying on their back on the floor and propping their calf muscles and their feet up onto a chair. So they're in that 90 degrees position there and they can just relax. The other thing would be in their bed to prop their feet up on their headboard and plant them there. And that way the hip is getting a little bit of input. So their brain is able to very, very slightly identify where the hip is. And then the knees just gently fall out. Just simply lying on their back with their knees bent and feet planted on the bed is very typical. The other one is sideline. They can put two pillows underneath the top leg with their top leg forward just slightly and do it in sideline deep squat. Now this is one where they need to have some pretty decent knee range of motion, but I like to recommend deep squat into a corner. So if they back themselves into a corner and slink down, so they're in this deep squat, they're supported, their whole trunk is supported, but that naturally opens up the pelvic floor quite a bit. And then the other one is to be in a deep squat position and hanging on to like a kitchen counter if they, if they have some mm-hmm. privacy in the kitchen or even like a closed door do- door handle. So it's like that caveman position there. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. That's good for us to have lots of different ways. I, I know some of uh, the gals that I work with who, you know, have not been able to have penetrative sex, but their goal is maybe to be in all fours or be in different yeah. positions. 
we actually have them utilizing the dilators in these different positions where they might say, oh, now I can do initial penetration, okay. But like in deep penetration, you know, I, I, I can tell that things don't feel well. And I said, well, okay, let's practice in some of the positions that you might want to do, you know, with your partner. And, and they then start practicing and realizing, oh, well, like that's uncomfortable. But, oh, after doing it, you know, with so many days in a row, oh, now I can tolerate that. So do sometimes they have to go down a little bit in the size when maybe they move to a different position? Talk about that a little bit for us. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of having, we, we sell them in four packs or individually, and that allows them to go down or go up as they're ready and able to do. The other thing is sometimes we go through periods of stress in our lives where we have a flare-up and we might need to go down or go back to the dilators for any given amount of time before going back up. So yes, absolutely. Getting adjusted to the way our organs feel in different positions because a lot of people don't think about this, but these organs are pretty slidey and pretty glidey. So depending on what position that you're in, there might be pressure experienced on the pelvic floor or on a on a bone or on a nerve or a tendon differently that we need to train for and, and train our body for. So like you said, there's a certain sexual position that they want to be able to do and they're just going to be practicing and orienting their body to that experience so that when their body feels that they it knows to relax and they can mobilize the tissue in that in that particular position and that way they can have greater success. I mean, I just want to, you know, talk about some of the first stages of, you know, like, uh, you know, pelvic organ prolapses and the use of dilators possibly in the training of these earlier stages. Of course, we know as we get further into stages, it's much more difficult, but you know, we use dilators often in the earlier stages, right, for proprioceptive awareness, right? And maybe for some contract relax. What do you what do you think about that? Talk to me a little bit about using um, dilators in that standpoint, because some people don't even know where their floor is. And, you know, they feel all this heavy pressure. But when that's gently, you know, maybe smaller than, you know, but but to like give some information. So I, I use dilators a lot for information, too. Right. Yes, absolutely, because they do occupy space within that vaginal canal. So, you know, if somebody's having a lot of change, they could use a larger dilator and they're not having to go as far. And then if they have good range of motion, they can use a smaller one to close and open around that. The other thing for prolapse in that way would be the wands, which we haven't spoken of yet. Right, we're going there, right? Yes, Sometimes with prolapse is they are getting some traction or drag on those organs because of the presence of scar tissue from a birth injury or from a surgery. And the wand can be used to relieve that tension that can oftentimes reduce the prolapse just as a byproduct of of reducing that snag on, on that tissue. And then they can contract around that too. And there is a very thin end and a larger end for that purpose. So this is a perfect segue because I was just going <laughs> to ask you. <laughs> We're going to there. The wands. The wands. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I love them and I'm so proud of them. The wands are patented. There are four of them. They are all the same shape and size and curvature, but all the different colors have different function. 
the purple wand is our original. And then we have two wands that vibrate. They are the same, but different colors. We have one that is blue for people who like blue. And we have one that is turquoise. And they both feature 10 different frequencies of vibration. They can be used vaginally or rectally. So for, for men that are having pelvic pain, they can use it rectally to relieve trigger points and tender points. And then the yellow wand is temperature therapy. So it can carry heat or be cold. But the purpose is to allow people to reach the pelvic floor muscles that may have tender points or scar tissue or to provide myofascial release to those deep aspects of the pelvic floor. Very similar to if you have one of those theracanes and you have a knot in your neck or in your back and you use it to reach around and, and you push on it and it, it kind of zings a little bit and you might get symptoms up your head. The same thing happens in the pelvic floor and the wand is the tool to help reach and reduce and relieve those tender points. So the, the shape of it is super important, I think. And I want to just talk about that because, you know, many people who maybe don't understand the pelvic floor think, oh, well, the pelvic floor is just this flat thing sitting there. And why is this thing all hooked? I have that conversation a lot in my office with people. Right. Yeah. So share share with us just how you talk through that and explain all that. Yes. Well, so the pelvic floor is like a, a a bowl, really. And as you mentioned, when especially when you're thinking about the inside of the vagina, there are many nooks and crannies and crevices, bends to it. And there is a set of muscles that are on the direct other side of the pelvic floor muscles that are actually hip muscles, but they are a team member with the pelvic floor. One of them in particular is the obturator internus. It is located on the far, far sides of the pelvic floor. And so one of the features of the wand, the, the long curvature there was specifically designed to be able to loop through and reach to that far side to reach obturator internus, which is a muscle that is very commonly tight or overactive that drives hip pain, drives pelvic pain, and they can't reach it. They can't stretch it. They, they have no means of accessing it except for the wand. And then the other curvature can be used to do perineal massage for pregnant moms, but it also features a curve that allows it to come right underneath the bladder. So when I, when I was you know, creating the wand, I wanted to have one that reached all the tough to reach places because, you know, it, it's pretty easy to stick the, the wand in there and reach the superficial structures. But the other curvature, the thicker one, can come underneath and get the front parts of the pelvic floor muscles that sometimes drive pain mm -hmm. with urination or Absolutely. sometimes have scar tissue as a, as a byproduct of a birth injury or you know, people that have interstitial cystitis may have extra guarding in those front muscles and they're very tight there. So yes, so the the little the little curvatures have very distinct purposes and it's the only wand that can reach those and it is patented to to be able to do that. And I love what you said about the hip. The hip muscles are so directly related to pelvic floor. So you know, like if you're an orthopedic therapist and you're like, hey, I'm never touching the pelvic floor, you can screen for pelvic floor issues because if someone doesn't have full internal external rotation of their hip, you darn well know the floor is involved. You may not know to the detail, but, you know, that obturator is so important because it's attaching right into the whole levator ani, right? 
through all its myofascial attachments. And I love the wand because you can get back to all that, you know, levator ani easy and get to the obturator with people who, you know, maybe don't even realize that, you know, they think they have this hip pain is actually part of their floor and their hip that may be too tight and maybe pulling to make a pelvic organ prolapse because, you know, one side is too tight and pulling down. And so suddenly, you know, I've got a little lower bladder on one side versus another because I got a hip over there that's too tight. So all, all these connections, this is such the beauty, I think, of the type of wand that you made. And it just is so able to go after so much that maybe we couldn't reach before and other ways. And I always tell people, like you just said with the Theracane, hey, it's an extension of your own hand to be able to do some of this. I want to shout out to you about you about the vibration and the small end of the of the um of the wand because for a lot of fecal incontinence patients the vibratory input is such a big deal when people have lost the endurance of that local tissue so like of levator ani and external anal sphincter you know, with all its rings, because it's almost like that vibratory input with the small slender part. It's almost like, oh, it gives them proprioception to actually be able to feel. So even using it maybe externally, you know, around the outer layer tissue and then helping them understand how to maybe use it internally. It's been a fabulous tool to have like vibratory input in that area because so many people, once they have, you know, a long history of constipation and then all this fecal leakage is happening, trying to get their brain to sort of reestablish, like, where is the external anal sphincter? And, you know, these three rungs, you know, the outer two are, you know, for pain and temperature, the inner ring, you know, more stretch oriented, but having the opportunity to have vibration with these people, it's been such a powerful tool. I just think you know, that piece of it has helped us so much because they need that input. And then, you know, they don't feel embarrassed because where are they going to find a vibratory input for the external area? Exactly. I'm jumping around, I know, but I, I just tell you that piece of it has been huge with vibration because I think people don't understand vibration, of course, goes up the spinal cord track in a different, you know, way than touch and light touch, deep touch, hot, cold. So having that other ability to have a tool that maybe, you know, can downregulate some pain of a trigger point, but also give so much information. I think that's, that's such a valid point that a lot of clinicians don't think about. And I probably need to be talking more about that because I'm hearing you discuss it. And I don't think I've spent a lot of time educating people in that way, but you're absolutely right. And on the other side of fecal incontinence is constipation. And the vibration can be used to stimulate blood yeah. flow and relaxation and proprioceptive input there because they are needing to learn the the other side of that, which is the drop and relax there too. So, so valid. Thank you so much for saying that. Well, and I think, you know, people maybe don't realize, I mean, us as clinicians, you know, that endurance muscles, I mean, you know, as you and I get older, right, they kind of decrease. So somebody who might have, a, you know, I'll have a gals in who are like, oh, I've had constipation all my life. And then all of a sudden, they get a little fecal leakage here and there. And they're like, Sherry, like all of a sudden, you know, they're appalled. And I'm like, okay, well, constipation and fecal leakage go together in the neighborhood. So actually, so many of them don't even have any proprioception 
like in that posterior anal triangle region, right? And so, you know, I'm like, hey, you already have this other tool. I'm like, this is a great tool to have with that vibration because now it's like it kind of turns the light up for the posterior part of the floor. So I, I definitely have been utilizing it so much more in the posterior part of the floor to be like, especially with the vibration one. So I was excited when you made the vibration one because, you know, then it just helped because now they have this whole tool. They can wash and clean it. You know, we do the same thing, you know, hey, you have to have lubrication, you know, like in that area, same way. We're like, no, 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 you have to have lubrication to be able to utilize all of that. But I just want you to know that's been such a powerful piece of that when you came out with that as well. So tell us a little bit, too, of some of the new, you you made a new dilator for the posterior part of the floor. Tell me a little bit about that, because I was fascinated when I saw it, just because I do a whole lot of work in the posterior part of the floor for a lot of my male, you know, clients, especially. Absolutely. We created rectal dilators, a whole line. In the past, people were using our vaginal dilators for that, and it was working out fine and okay, but we always want to do better than fine. So what we did is we created, again, eight. However, we started the entry point for that very, very small. And so the two smallest rectal dilators are thin and straight, and they are smaller than our vaginal dilators. So they can be used vaginally to help onboard and help train a person vaginally, but they do feature more flexibility to respect the curvature of the rectum as it's inserted. So they start very, very small, keeping in mind uh, your patient population, like you said, if they've got fecal incontinence and we're training proprioceptive input, or they've got constipation and we're training drop and relax, or people that have had radiation or surgery from colorectal cancer or other treatments to the area, and uh, the IBD population too that is working on defecation. So they start thin and straight. And then as they progress, they do start to demonstrate a bulb. And so the bulb gets larger as the dilators get have, get get bigger. <laughs> they get longer and wider. But the bulb can be used also for defecation training. So in pelvic health physical therapy, we do oftentimes balloon training where we are training our patient to sense filling in the rectum and how to properly coordinate the muscles to expel to have proper bowel movements. And so the rectal dilators are a tool that can be used at home for, again, that practice and that coordination training of training them how to expel that bulb. So it's easy to insert. So they could be doing the mobility stuff for the radiation population or the restriction population, and then also the defecatory training for the coordination population. And it's such a, it's a easy it's it just as an easier tool for them in some ways, you know, because they can kind of, almost like your dilators through the front of the floor. It's almost like, you know, they can place them and, you know, talk about dosing and time frames that maybe you use with them. You know, say they have, you know, a really tight, you know, puborectalis, you know, and so, the, you know, they're kind of very restricted there. How long would you dose for? Like, how do you how do you do that with them? Um, starting out, I would start, I would start to tolerance. So, you know, one of the things about the anal sphincter is that muscle has been trained for however long we are. 
to experience things going one way. So to have something coming up and in is oftentimes, um, it can sometimes be so alarming that people will clench up even worse. So we want to make sure that coordination piece is in place. Um, we also want to make sure we don't overstimulate it. So I would start with like three to five minutes initially and then build up towards that 10-minute mark um, for a patient that was undergoing radiation or they had stenosis or tissue flexibility issues, scar tissue, things like that. So yes, I would say anywhere from three to 10 minutes. For the people that are working on defecatory training, I might ask them to try to do 10 reps so they're getting the practice in. So the thing about that is, you know, when it goes in and it comes out, they're going to want to wipe it and, and give it a wash and a replace. So then they're just practicing the drop and relax to expel it. Absolutely. I love it. It's great. Okay. So we've gone through the products, right? So, but talk to me. I know you just have some other products. Can you share with us a little bit about some of your other products as well? If I've missed anything, tell me. Oh, yes. No, no problem at all. We have some supplements. We work with an amazing formulation team. We've got a great probiotic that features cranberry extract for bladder health for people that get chronic UTIs. So the probiotic to help address the, the gastrointestinal system, digestive tract, and then the cranberry extract for that. We have an aloe supplement for people who have bladder pain to help reduce inflammation there. We have myo-inositol for people who have PCOS, mm -hmm. Vitex for people who are experiencing um, menstrual irregularity and painful periods. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a natural remedy to help promote stability within the menstrual system. Mm -hmm. And then we have two amazing lubricants. We have a personal lubricant that is a water-based lubricant that can be used with any of our products. And then we have an external vulvar balm that is all organic. Love. It's amazing. It is the bee's knees. <laughs> If I do say so myself. It is the bee's knees. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. It is. Amanda, for all of our athletes, I'm just going to tell you who like can experience chafing sometimes yes. with just sweating and like, you know, like, you know, maybe they're biking or they're running and they've just, you know, they're, it's, it's amazing. Even my swimmers who literally you know, like, because they've been in and out of the water so much, you know, that area and the inner thigh right there. Oh, my gosh. They use it on there. I mean, heals the tissue and yes. just amazing. It's a very healing for any redness, any dryness, lichen sclerosis, rubbing, chafing after waxing, after shaving. And it's yeah. safe, you know, if any, for some reason, got in the mouth, it's safe for that. It's been <laughs> clear for all that. It's a great yeah. lip balm if you need it for that. <laughs> really, honestly, so amazing. Like for, I mean, just our whole population, but like women population, but like our athletes in particular, I, you know, you kind of don't realize like how much chafing and redness kind of happens in the external part of the floor area, you know, all through the labia, you know, majora and perineal body and, you know. If that sweat sort of sits, it'll even get down there in the posterior part of the anal region. And it's yeah. just really nice. And I kind of tell my athletes, hey, have this on board with you. You know, if you, oh, I've been doing pretty good. Oh, well, then I'm going to do a race. And like, I'm like, visualize it so that before the race happens that you don't feel like this, you know, your red raw before you even get to your race because you're, you know, because of, yes, it's, I mean, literally it's been an amazing thing, honestly, for people to have and to utilize. Yeah. So 
I, I love that. I love that product. Okay, are we missing anything else? Because I really want you to talk a little bit about, you know, your love of like return to sport and activity and kind of empowering women to sort of do the next thing of what their sport goals are, no matter maybe what they are. And like, just why you're so passionate about that. Absolutely. I, I do a lot of educating and I participate on papers in that space. I was an athlete growing up. I was a competitive gymnast and then I was a three-sport athlete in high school. And I actually, ironically, if you've met me, you know I'm very short and very small, but I played collegiate volleyball at NCAA. So, and, You're a powerhouse. Well, <laughs> put me in the back row. I pass the ball. I do my But I I've always... It. I love sport and running has always been with me. You know, I, I went to middle school and high school in Eugene, Oregon, and in Oregon we run. And I'm a runner now, and that's my thing that lights my, lights my little heart on fire. So, you know, what I found was having had two boys and returning to run myself, having had two totally different childbirths, when I came out, there, there was like no evidence. We, we had no literature ex existing really on how to safely return these people, I think, as clinicians, we were all doing our best to utilize what we knew about exercise prescription and pelvic floor. But what I found was I had colleagues telling patients never to run again. And that's, there's no, there's no evidence for that. There's no good reason for that. And that's, that's taking away somebody's thing. And so I started pulling everything that I could find. And there was other teams internationally that were trying to pull everything they could find and now we have a growing body of literature. There's so much more evidence on how the pelvic floor behaves when exercising. Everything from running to CrossFit to gymnastics and, and all of those things. I participated on a paper with three other amazing physical therapists. And we outlined a progressive phased approach to returning a postpartum person to running. And then I have, we have two papers pending One's been accepted into the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and it will be out in a couple weeks. It's a Delphi study where we were looking at um, different practice patterns and making recommendations on both the, what we see in the literature and what people are doing worldwide to help create more dialogue. But there's other groups out there that are doing lab studies on how the pelvic floor behaves while running. And we're, we're just, it's a work in progress, but it's moving forward. So I, the passion comes from like understanding them wanting to go and understanding that we need to be properly dosing their exercise to prepare them for impact so that they can get back to whether it's pickleball or running or Zumba or Pilates or whatever it is, because those are what make us whole. And we want them to be active and mentally healthy and physically happy. 100%. I think, you know, that's the beauty of actually asking people, hey, you know, what are your goals? What are your expectations? You know, what are you trying to gain? You know, we, you know, had a mom who's like, I want to get back to CrossFit. This is what I want to do there. And we were like, you know, she said, I've already been to, you know, five other therapists who told me I could never do that. You know, bad tear in the floor, you know, big baby, half the floor didn't work. Some, you know, sensory and motor weakness, you know, only maybe like a one plus on a motor contraction. And I said, you know, honestly, I never say no to anybody, right? I say, what is it that you want to do? Because, because I think we forget that this whole pelvic floor works together with the rest of the core. So she might never have a five out of, you know, five out of five muscle contraction on that one side of the floor where she tore, right? But we can 
create this stability and strength and power through the whole system working together. And then teach her, right, that when she gets a certain sensation in the floor, hey, the floor is too weak yet to continue at that level of function. So you're going to need to have rest or downtime or do a few stretches and see, hey, can you regain maybe five more minutes, right? Instead of saying no. So what do you say to that? Like, because I think we've kind of in our world of pelvic health, we're doing so much better and all of it, right? As we learn and grow from the work that you're doing, but also helping, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, orthopedic and sports PTs or SS pelvic PTs, kind of stopping and listening to people, right? And actually hearing what their feelings are, you know, I might have a mom who says, I want to do this particular thing. Why do you want to do it? Because I want to do it with my husband. It's what creates our, our bonding time together. You know, we race together or we do this thing together, right? And trying to know, well, why are they so passionate about doing this thing again? Like you said, I'm a runner. This is what I want to do, right? Is like we need to listen, right? To be able to say, oh, I hear them saying, this is what I love. Like, don't say no. Say, oh, let's figure this out together, right? How to get you where you need to go. Do you see some of that in your own practice sometimes? And how do we help, you know, the community at large have these conversations of like, we're not saying no, because then guess what? They don't want to come to see a PT. And even though we're the safest person for them to see, and we know what needs to be done to get them where they want to go. But but it's that whole thing of, you know, oh, they're, I just know they're going to tell me not to do what I want to do anymore. So I'm not going to go there. Absolutely. I think it's forming a bond between pelvic health and our orthopedic colleagues so that we can be helping to evaluate the pelvic floor aspect. And then from the pelvic PT standpoint, if someone doesn't feel comfortable enough in the exercise prescription of preparing that person for a sport at a high level like that, then they can be partnering with an orthopedic colleague and to educate our patient population that if you're feeling, you're, if you're hearing a flat out no without a reason, because it may be not yet, not right. yet, but we're going to, here's all the things that we're going to do in service of that goal to prepare you for impact. We're going to train your system. We're going to train the entire lower extremity chain. We're going to train your core and breathing patterns and all of those things, but we're going to get there. But if it's just a hard no with this type of injury, you're never going to, it's time to find somebody else and find a pelvic health physical therapist that is trained to be able to help manage and prepare you for those goals. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's why the work that you're doing with these different studies and helping it sort of opens our whole pelvic health world, but also the orthopedic world, right? So that we can sort of venture into this more but jointly, you know, yeah. hey, here's screening tools for the orthopedic PTs to realize like, hey, I really need a pelvic PT on, on board. But then us as pelvic PTs, if, the, if we're glitching with something at a higher level or a different pattern that we chat together about like, hey, let, hel let's help this person actually reach their goal of, you know, of what they want to do. Because so many of the, you know, the floor muscles, so much endurance muscles, some of these activities require what? Endurance and power and knowing how to have that conversation, whether it's in you know, our world of pelvic health, but also in ortho sport. And, you know, I came out of the whole ortho and sport world. So, and then kind of, you know, through all my oncology work, wandered into the pelvic health world. 
But but I, I just have this deep passion, I think, for women and men actually returning to activities, sport activities and activities that give them great joy. And for us to say no, like that just disrupts this whole, you know, thing of like you and I having this joy in our life again. And so we need to, I think, look at it like, yeah, maybe a person comes in right after having a baby and I can't have them out on the tennis court playing tennis yet because they don't have the endurance for maybe more than five minutes of upright standing activity, right? But now <clears throat> we teach them, oh, this is the progression of that, right? We're not saying no, but these are progressions. So I have loved all the work that you're doing in this arena. And I think it's so important that we pull in all of the, you know, sports and athletic component together with us because then it creates this way better vision of what's needed in the floor during such higher level, right, activities. Absolutely. So I, I, I want to share something with you that's kind of been interesting that I've heard a little, and I just want you to speak to it just for a moment before we're done. But, you know, I hear a lot of this now of like, oh, you know, get your pelvic, you know, old style of pelvic care is, you know, people laying down on the bed. You know, we need to get our people up and active and that's the only way to do it now. Everybody should be doing it standing up. I struggle with it a little bit because why are we laying people on the bed to check them first? Like, right? Like, so talk a little bit about in your work, understanding how there's this progressionary thing that needs to go on. I always bring it back to the nervous system. So certainly, you know, we do on, on initial evaluation, we need to be looking at them in three dimensions and how they're moving and functionally and squat tests and single limb squat and these kinds of things. But we are going to do a table test where they are laying down and they're, they're comfortable and their sensory system can hopefully be in a supported, calm environment so we can look at what the true behavior of the pelvic floor is and then certainly want to evaluate that pelvic floor and standing. But when it comes to my treatments and my my exercise progression, even on a very high functioning athlete, I start them when they're learning new skills in a supported position, whether that supported position is seated, supine, sideline, or quadruped. For me, those are the supported positions. Their body can get the chance to feel supported. Their brain can focus and they can tap into their coordination system with their pelvic floor. Once they have good control and coordination there, then I certainly want to get them up. So I might get them in a half kneel or into a moving, more dynamic quadruped. And then from there standing and then from there bounding and hopping and jumping and plyometrics. But that may take a few weeks. And for that high-functioning person that feels like they're not doing something unless they're sweating all over, understand, because I love that. I bring it back to there's a finesse. And when you're, if you're going to have a great tennis stroke, you're going to do some drills against the net where you're practicing your wrist movement and the, these tiny little components. And we want to build your foundation of big, explosive movement and strength and, you know, spring. We want to build that off of a very stable foundation. And so we are going to learn these skills like this. And I'm going to get you up and moving as soon as your body and your brain show me that they're ready. That's right. Exactly. So I, I really, I love that because it, it helps us understand why are we in some of these more supported positions? Yeah. We need them, right? 
yeah. to give that right. information, that feedback. Excuse me. So, Amanda, tell us a little bit, like, in your next, excuse me, that's coming. Like, what's your next goals? What are you working on? I, we're in research and development on a lot of things here at Intimate Rose with my team. We're looking at making different kinds of lubricants to release. I'm interested in finding some form of over-the-counter bladder support. So I'm, I'm tinkering around with silicone and trying to come up with something that could be used similar to the way like a poison pressa is used to help stabilize the bladder. We just got word that one of our papers was accepted into British Journal of Sports Medicine. So that should be out in three weeks. And we have another that's pending. So that was a big international team. I don't know how I got so lucky to be involved, but it's like Kari Bo and Granier Donnelly and Lori Forner and all these amazing international presences in, in pelvic health and athlete world. So those are forthcoming and Rita Deering and Shafali Christopher here in the U.S. spearheaded that and they have worked so hard. If people are not yet familiar with their work, they do a lot of research. They are both PhD physical therapists in the pelvic health space that do a lot of publications on pelvic health and running and athletes and in the postpartum world specifically. So I encourage people to check them out. And then I will be at combined sections meeting in Boston coming up and endo summit and endo summit is like the funnest part of the year. And I can't wait to see you there. I can't wait to see you too. And Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I just want you to know like intimate rose is just such an important part of all of our pelvic health work. And it literally, like I said, I just is a great way to empower women they get their bag, they walk out my door and they're so happy because they feel like they have the tools they need, you know, to be successful. So I want you to know how much I appreciate all your hard work and everything you do to make the life, you know, that women need better every day. It's, it's so empowering and I just appreciate your friendship as well. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so much, too, and everything that you do. Well, good. I'll look forward to seeing you at the Endometrius Summit, Endometriosis oh. Summit. There you go, right? In Margaritaville, right? <laughs> Thank you again, Amanda. And um, we'll uh, be talking, and I'm sure we're going to get lots of questions after I do interviews with everybody. People come back and say, oh, what about this? And what about that? And and it's just, I love to hear the depth of, of all of it. So thank wonderful. You. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, great. Perfect. So Amanda, they'll cut it off and everything and kind of rework it. And then you'll get anything you want out of it, you know, just for your website or where your educational work. And then, and then here comes Cole. It, it usually takes.